In Acts chapter 17, the Word of God is given to us. It's one book with 66 books inside. The first 39 were written before Jesus came. The last 27 were written after Jesus goes back to heaven. The first book tells us how God started the human race with Adam and Eve and how he started the, the, the Hebrew race with Abraham and Sarah. Now, much of the Bible is Jewish in nature. It, uh, God used the Jewish people to give us two things. Number one, uh, our scriptures. If you did not have Jewish people, you would not have the scripture you have. Uh, it is God's history of his nation, and he's chosen the Israelite people to be used of him throughout history to give us our scriptures and to give us our Savior. Jesus came through the Jewish people. And when Jesus comes back, the Israelite nation is going to be paramount in the seven years of the tribulation period, which will conclude with our study tonight in 2 Thessalonians, and I'm looking forward to that very, very much. Now, with that in mind, I am so grateful that we have a Bible, aren't you? The Bible tells us how to get to heaven from here. If you're here today, you're not sure if, if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. I want you to know that. You need someone to sit down with you today before you leave, open a Bible, and show you three things you need to know and one thing you'll need to do to have eternal life with God. It's not hard to go to heaven. God did all the work. But you do need to understand what the Bible says about our sin and about God's solution. And I want to encourage you, if you're here today, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I know if I die to go to heaven. I remember sitting in a service just like that. I was in this section over here toward the back, not in this room, but another church much smaller than this. But whenever I realized I needed someone to show me from the Bible how to be saved, and that was the best day in my life. How many have had a day like that and you're glad you did? Amen. Well, the Bible's given us not only to show us how to get to heaven, but it shows us how to live after we know we're going to heaven. It teaches us how to think. The Bible says the entrance of God's word it gives us light. It gives us understanding to the simple. It helps us understand some things in a better way, how to raise children, how to manage finances, how to make money, how to spend money, how to invest money. It tells me how to get along with my wife. It tells me how to help my children. Uh, the Bible tells me how to be a good neighbor, how to be a good friend. There is no stone that God doesn't unturn in the Bible. He tells us how to do things through two mechanisms. One, it's through principles. He just says, no, here's a general principle. There's some things he doesn't just tell us, don't do this. Okay, something he just gives you general principles. Other things, he gives us exact precepts. Okay, I don't have to wonder if I should steal or not. Because God says, thou shalt not steal. Now, whether I should watch something on television that's coming up, and I see something advertised, want to watch it, uh, the, the Bible doesn't say, do not watch what's going on at 9 p.m. on Tuesday. No, it doesn't say that. He speaks to us in principles. Is that good for me to watch? Will it help me? Will it, will it keep me and make me a better Christian? Will it inform me on something that's important? I'll be able to figure out through principles on that. I don't have to wonder if I should, if I should kill somebody, okay? Because that, the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. I don't have to wonder if I should lie. Because the Bible's very clear on precepts on certain things. On other things, he's very principled. And that is why God gave us the Bible. So we would know how to be saved. So we would know how to be successful. The, all the scripture is given inspiration to God and it's profitable. You want to be profitable? You want to be successful? 
Uh, what you and I do with the Bible determines success we'll have uh, in this life with God. And then it's given to us so it will be seasoned or mature, that the man of God may be perfect. You and I can be mature. Mature people are a great blessing to everyone around them. If you have a mature father, that he's spiritually mature, you're a blessed young man. You're a blessed young lady. If you're married to a mature wife or husband, you're really blessed. I'm not talking about physical maturity. I'm talking about spiritual maturity. Someone who is spiritually mature. See, Pastor, what does a spiritual mature person look like? I don't know exactly, but I do know several characteristics. Number one, mature spiritual people, they know themselves. They know their strengths and their weaknesses. Number two, they are themselves. They're, they're pretty much what you see on Monday is what you're going to see on Sunday. They're pretty genuinely, they're mature. They're, they're, they're kind of, you can see they're consistent. They know who they are, and they are who they are. I think mature people are sensitive to those around them. Immature people say, well, I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to say it. Okay, you're an idiot, okay? <laughs> you don't just say everything that's on you. Whatever in my mind, I just say it. Well, that's not a mature person. Because mature, spiritual mature people are really sensitive to those around them, not just to be a hurt or a stumbling block to other people. Mature people are contented in their spirit. They're, they're not someone who is just never happy. Their cup's always half empty. You know, they're always hard to deal with. They're the, they're the elephant in the living room that you have to deal with. Mature people are not that way. Mature people are gentle, easy to be entreated, full of peace, full of, uh, of without partiality. They're not hypo hypocritical. Mature people that are spiritually mature, they're, they're easy. They're contented in their spirit. They're motivated by what is right not what is, what, is, uh, what is comfortable. What am I supposed to do here? Not what I want to do, not what I feel like doing, not what's convenient, not what's comfortable, not what's easy for me, but what is right. And the Word of God helps us. Mature people are motivated by love. They don't have to have a pat in the back or a kick in the pants all the time to do what they're supposed to do. They, they really just, they know that God loves them, and they love the Lord, and they want to do the right thing. And they love the Lord. It's not so much they don't have to be pride and, and provoked as much because they really have a maturity to say, you know what, this is what I want to do. And by the way, when a church has spiritual mature people, they really are a blessing to everyone around them. But you'll never have spiritual maturity until you and I have a relationship with the Bible. We've been studying through the book of Acts, and I need to hasten today, but we are coming to Acts chapter 17. And uh, the Apostle Paul, on his second missionary journey, his first missionary journey was done with, um, with Barnabas, and now his second missionary journey is done with Silas. The first missionary journey was 1,400 miles total from the time they left Antioch until they came back to Antioch. This one is twice the number of miles, 2,800 miles. We'll look at it real quickly. It's a long time, and they did not have, they did have ships that helped them a little bit. But it starts out in Jerusalem and goes back up to uh, Antioch. That's where they will go. And they kind of have a problem with Paul and Barnabas. And now Barnabas and, and, uh, and his nephew go to that little island there on the, on the southwest uh, south, uh, corner there. And then Paul and Silas go up into uh, this region right here, and they go back over to some of the towns of Tarshish, and then that's his hometown, goes there, probably sees family, and then makes his way on to Derby and continue on, if you would please. Lystra, that's where he finds his young friend Timothy, and he takes him along with him. 
Iconium, and they keep on going. They want to go south into Asia, and the Lord says, no, you're not going south. He says, well, then I'll go up to Bithynia. And he says, no, you can't go up there. So God, uh, in that city, the poor city of Troas, he's there, and he doesn't know what God wants him to do. And he has, in the middle of the night, he's praying, and the Lord gives him direction through a vision. God spoke in that day much more so in visions because they didn't have the Bible as, uh, and uh, the Holy Spirit was inside them. But he gave him a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And whenever he knew that, he said, well, well then, then he said, guys, here's what God shared with me to do. And so he said, uh, if, and they said, if God showed you to do that, then we'll go with you. And they went over across that waterway into Neapolis and then over to Philippi. Philippi was one of the major cities there. And uh, that's where he had three main converts we know about, Lydia and her girlfriend down by the river, the body of water. And then the demon-possessed damsel, the little demon-possessed damsel that was running around. And, and she was delivered of the demon and probably became a member of that church. And then because of that, they got put in jail. And you might remember the Philippian jailer who gets saved and his family gets saved. But they, they get arrested. They get beaten publicly as Roman citizens. And finally, they, the authorities come down and they go to Lydia and, and her family's house for a little bit. And then they make their way uh, to where we're talking about here in, in Acts chapter 17 to the, to the city of Thessalonica. And, of course, we have two Bible uh, books in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, written to this group of people. So uh, there's 100 miles between uh, Philippi and Thessalonica, you can see it. And they pass through two other little towns, um, Amphipolis and Amphilonia. They pass through those towns. They're not as large as, uh, as, as Thessalonica. And, and one of them was a military station, uh, Apollonia, Apollonia was a missionary, excuse me, not that one, the other one. Let's see here, Amphipolis, that was a, mission, a military station. A lot of military folks were there. But the Bible says he passed through. That's about 30 miles, and they went another 30 miles and come to Apollonia. And then they make their way over to the city of Thessalonica. And there's some things I think we can speculate, and there's some things we can learn, I think, from this past scripture. The reason we're studying the book of Acts is how... Can things that happened almost 2,000 years ago relate to us in 2021 here at First Baptist Church of Hammond? Aren't you glad you're in church this morning? I love the church. I know a church is not perfect, but I'm glad I can be in church. I love being with you. A church is not a building. A church is a group of people that have fallen in voluntarily saying, you know, I want to, to unite with my brothers and sisters and accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Let's look at chapter 17, verse number 1. The Bible says this. Now, when they passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews. And just to remind yourself, there's about 100 miles from Philippi to Thessalonica. But Paul's passion, he would say this, to the Jew first and also to the now, he was the apostle to the Gentile world, but he did not overlook his own people group. And you can read in, Acts cha in, in Romans chapter 9, you'll say, man, I, he's, I, I, I would go to hell myself. I wouldn't say that, but that's what he said. He said, I would go to hell myself if my people would say yes to Jesus. And such passion. And he, he endured such 
affliction because of that group of people, but he loved them. And where love is thick, other people's faults are thin. You want to find out why you get so ticked off with everybody? It's because you, you have gone to 7-Eleven to get love. <laughs> you need to go to Costco, okay? You need to go to Sam's Club. The thicker love you have, the less offended you are. Remember years ago, I was in a basketball league at Howell Anderson College, and Brother Jerry Scott would say, all right, our verse for every game is this verse. Psalms 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. If you get offended, it's because you don't have much love. And we're going to love each other here, even though we're going to compete against each other. We're not going to be offended. We're not going to be offended with the referee. We're not going to be offended with each other. We're going to work through this thing. And boy, he would give us about a lesson on that. I was like, please shut up so we can play this basketball game. But he was giving us a sermon, Herman, and he was telling us, hey, listen, get a lot of love. and You won't have a lot of offense. But people who have a little bit of love, boy, they're offended at everybody. And they're just having all kinds of issues. And But Paul, even though these people gave him much trouble, he loved them deeply and was willing to take it on the chin and turn the other cheek over and over again because of his love that God had for them and that he had for them. Let's look at the next verse if we can, please. So he finds a synagogue, verse number 2. And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So he was there for three Sabbath days. Well, that means at least 21 days that he was there and um, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, that, uh, that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Now, we call his name Jesus Christ. Jesus was his earthly name, which means Savior. Christ meant the Messiah. So he goes into this synagogue, and he's there for three weeks back to back. Now, when he would go to a synagogue, uh, people would know he was Jewish, but they would also know that he was not from around there. He was a visitor there. But oftentimes they would ask him, they would say, listen, where are you from? He goes, well, I'm, my name is Saul. I'm from Tarshish. He said, okay. And and said, uh, you, you know, what's your background? Well, he goes, I was a member of the Sanhedrin, and I was a Pharisee in the city of Israel. Really? What school did you go to? He said, I went to the school of Gamaliel. Gamaliel? That would be like if someone who's really smart said, yeah, I went to Harvard or Yale. I studied under this side. He's like, whoa, really? They say, well, we're not talking today. You're going to talk today. And in the synagogue, it wasn't like it was if people got together and, and they would listen and they found a visitor coming that he would have information. Like if we had a guest pastor come through or evangelist and, and we, we, we could see God's hand was on them and they knew things would help us, we oftentimes let them come and, and speak to our services. Well, when Paul came through, he began to, they told him where he was from and they said, boy, Camillo's world famous. You studied at his school? Yes, they did. He said, well, when it's time to talk today in the synagogue, how, how about you talking? And so he did that three Sabbath days in a row. At the conclusion of it, there was quite a, a blessing. A, a lot of people began to say, I'll accept that. I want to believe and receive. And he spent time with them going through the Old Testament, probably Isaiah 53, Psalms 22, 23, 24, that talks about the sufferings of Christ. Because in the Jewish mind, they were thinking, whoever the Messiah would be, he would be in charge, and he would dethrone uh, the Roman government and get the Jews out of the, the constraints and the control of the Roman Empire, and he would free them. That was their thinking. 
I think it's probably why even partially that John the Baptist sent his friends to go ask Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 11, do, do, are you really the Messiah or do we look for another? Because they, they, weren't, they weren't connecting the dots. That according to the Old Testament, the Messiah just wouldn't, rev- he, w- he would give them freedom, but it would be eternal freedom. It would give them freedom from sin and the curse of sin, but that he would have to die and be buried, and be beaten, and be bludgeoned, and be crucified. That wasn't, that wasn't what, he kept telling his disciples, when, uh, he said, like, like, the, like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And they knew that meant on a cross. No, 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 you can't be doing it. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You can't die for us. You want to, you're going to deliver us. And he would, because when we know the truth, the truth makes us Free internally, free from the load of sin, free from being damned to eternal destiny without Christ. But they were wanting him to be the leader and to dethrone and, and, and free them and give them someone who could rally around them and deliver his people and give them a place and, and leadership. And he keeps talking about dying. And now Paul is going around and saying, look, the thing about Jesus is, is that it would please God to bruise him. And by his stripes, and they're like, no, 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 stripes, no, no, no beating, no bruising. They said, yes. For you and I to live, Jesus had to die. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God the Father made Jesus the Son to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, the Bible says, But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet Christ, he died for us. He died so we could live. He was separated from his Father so you and I wouldn't have to be separated from him. And he's explaining that to these people. And in the synagogue, there's not just Jewish people. There are Greeks that are interested in the God of the Bible. They're interested in the God of heaven. And they're wanting to know more. And, and some of the chief ladies, the leaders, the, the, the movers and shakers in the community, they're in there listening too. Let's see what happens. Can we take our Bible and look at it if we can, please? Verse number uh, 4. And some of them did what? And they consorted. They started, they started joining Paul and, and communicated with Paul and Silas and the devout Greeks, a great multitude, a lot of devoted, interested Greek Non-Jewish people, they got saved. And the chief women, not just a few of them, a lot of those girls got saved. But look at verse number 5 and read it out loud with me, would you? But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, and took unto them certain lewd fellows of a baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on and, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out of the people." Here we find that uh, um, oftentimes people that are on the wrong side of an issue use rioting and turning things upside down on their head. They almost delight in chaos. We see it today. If something's smooth, no, no, no. They, 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 They almost delight in seeing things get turned upside down and go crazy. When things are in order, they, they rebelled against that. But things, and, to, and to cause a mess, they, they got, the Bible says that people who are moved with envy, 
That means now this guy had come into town and in three weeks he has a large group of people that are no longer uh, listening to their dry talks and empty religion. And now he's brought to them Jesus and he says, you know what? They all are saying, instead of listening to the rabbis and the people that had that uh, synagogue before he showed up, now they're following around these two missionaries who are telling them that you can have freedom in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the Messiah that can forgive your sin and set you on the right path. And people move with envy and said, we don't like that. And so their ploy was they went out to the marketplace and found some thugs. Lewd, which means wicked men of baser sort, like lowlifes. And they paid the money to go and get a riot started and to try to hurt people that, that followed these two missionaries and stir it up and let's go get them and let's find out where they are. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna deal with them. And so they started a riot. Have you ever heard anybody starting a riot? Well, let's look at what the Bible says here in verse number 6. And when they found them not, they drew Jason. He's one of the believers there. And certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. This, uh, this information about Jesus and Christ and, and the change that it makes in people had already come to their ears. They'd already familiar with this. They even said, these two guys... They've turned the world upside down. By the way, your life has that ability as well. If we'll be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be spirit-filled, we'll be soul winners, you're going to find that you're going to be used of God like they were. Now, their testimony was not, being, it was not pleasant to the people that were speaking. They said, these guys have come. And then they called them insurrectionists. Let's look, if you would, if you would please, at verse number 7. And whom Jason hath received. And this guy, Jason, that we've got in front of, they didn't get a hold of Paul and Silas yet. Now they've got Jason, an innocent new believer. He's there, and they pulled him and another fellow out. And uh, he said, they have accepted them. They have taken care of them. They're feeding them in their house. They're taking care of them there. And, um, and they do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people of the, of the rulers of the city, and they heard these things when they heard these things. So they pull them out, and by this time, it looks like, if we, if we see later on, that Claudius, the Roman emperor, had, had kicked all of the Jews out of Jerusalem and out of, out of the area in Rome, and he's trying to get out of Rome. He wants to get rid of them. So he has made all of them leave. And you'll read about two of them later in the next chapter, Aquila and Priscilla, man and wife, who helped the Apostle Paul. They didn't, want, they didn't meet by Apostle Paul on plan. They met him by accident because they had been made to leave Rome. So now Claudius feels like they're coming against, the Jewish people are coming against him or there's in some insurrection. Now they're blaming these guys, and these guys are, are part of that insurrection, and they take them to the Roman leaders, and they're trying to get them. And they're saying, this guy, Jason, he's taking care of them at the house, and this other fellow, they're receiving them. They're taking care of them, and these insurrectionists who, who are saying there's another king besides Caesar, it's Jesus. Look, if you would please, the next one, verse number 9, and when they had taken security or made Jason pay bail or bond, excuse me, of the other, 
they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who, coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. So they had to go another 50 miles down the road to Berea. And uh, the people that were Christians there at Thessalonica said, you know what, they're not going to let up. They already had, they already arrested Jason, the other guy. They let him go with, a, with bail bonds. And he said, but they're going to be coming after you. So in the middle of the night, they escort them out. And they go to Berea. We'll talk about that next week. It's a wonderful thought. But I want to just bring to you a couple of your attention, a couple of thoughts in closing. What, why did God put this in the Bible? This is not the only thing that ever happened in that period of time. But why would God include this in the Bible? I would love to sit down with you and let you tell me. I'm sure your wills are turning. You think, oh, I know. I think that there's some things God's trying to teach us. Here's a couple of things that come to my mind. Number one, it's interesting to me that they passed through two other cities to get to Thessalonica. And I think it's some important things to learn. You know, I know that if you have 10 gospel tracts to give out, that you can't take the gospel to the wrong address, but you need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to know who it is that you should speak with in any given time. They passed through two small towns to smaller towns that are 33 miles apart from each other, to get to Thessalonica. I don't know why. Maybe because the synagogue was there and it wasn't in the other places. But you know, I think why it really happens because Paul was sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. There are people coming in your path this week. And they're coming in my path this week. Will I be sensitive to try to help them? Will I be sensitive to trying to be mean, meaning, do something meaningful for them? I think it's pretty important we understand that. Number two, I want you to know that when the gospel is preached, when the word of God is given, some will believe. Some, now, some will not believe. It always divides a crowd. You give the gospel to a group of people, and you're going to have people who believe and people who don't believe. But the power of the gospel, and he reasoned with the people from the word of God. Let me encourage you. You got friends, you got loved ones, ask them for a chance to show them from the Bible how they can be saved. Talk about the Bible. Study the Bible. Know the Bible. We'll learn next week in the book of the city, the city of Berea. They were more noble than those of those at Thessalonica. They were great. But boy, Paul talked to them, and you know, some of them got saved. Not always the same people that I think are going to get saved, but you know, God knows how to bring people to the gospel of Christ. Just give the, give the gospel. Have confidence in the gospel of Christ. Know also that whenever you try to witness to people and people get saved, the devil doesn't like it. And he stirs up society and he stirs up jealous and envious people that don't even know why they're angry. Maybe they're angry over the influence, but they'll, 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 they'll cause issues. And those things happen to us. The things I love about the Berean Christians, and first of all, I also love about this. You know, Jason, here's a guy who's just a layman in the church. But he took it on the chin and protected Paul and Silas. Isn't that something? This guy was perceiving them, and they pulled him out, pulled another person out, pulled them in front of the magistrates and made accusations that they're, they're insurrectionists and they're, they're housing people and, and this kind of thing. And I think, about a, I think about faithful men of God throughout history and in this church, precious ladies of God who are just continuing on you, know, you already don't even mention Jason doesn't appear again in your Bible, I don't think, maybe one other time. 
But here was a guy who just faithfully doing what God wanted to do. He took, he took some difficult times. In his early days as a Christian, for some rejection, arrest, challenges, was faithful to the Lord. And the last thing I love about the Berean Christians, and I'll share it more next week, is that these people not only received God's word, but they studied God's word. You know, there's something about the word of God you need to understand. Don't be afraid of it. Pastor does not have a monopoly on the word of God. I've been wrong before. I've said some things that are probably not true, not, non, not maliciously, but just ignorantly. I didn't understand the full thing. But you know, the truth of the matter is, you need to study the Bible. You need to know the Bible. Read your newspaper, but study your Bible. Talk about the Bible. Think about the Bible. You and I as Christians, listen, I don't care if you're security or you're on a camera, you're in the choir, you're an orchestra member. All of us ought to be Bible students. And do it daily. Daily, look at your Bible. Read it. Ask God to teach you some things. And decide, you know, I'm not going to go into heaven with shock treatment. I'm just so ignorant of all things I could have known while I was here. Decide, you know, I want to be a Bible student. I want to receive it when I'm with pastor and when I'm in my Sunday school class and I'm in my Bible institute class or I'm in the Bible class at school. I want to receive it, but then I want to study it and see, are these things what the Bible says? Listen, I, I want to encourage you. You study the Bible as much as you want and study it, get to know it. I hope you can know it better than I'll ever know it. I hope that, that uh, you'll, you'll, for, you'll forget more than I'll ever learn. Just keep on studying. Let the Word of God melt. You don't have to be afraid of the Bible. Let it sink inside of you. Let it dwell in you richly.